When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast here by the Manchester Evening News. I am your host today, Ash Barami, and I am pleased, as always, to be joined by Dominic Booth. Hello. And Samuel Lucas. Hello. How are we both doing? Not bad. Not, not bad. bad. Uh, my, my own international break has, has come and gone, uh, come through it unscathed and feeling raring to go again. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably the best possible time for an international break. Some Most fans of other clubs will be dreading it, but... I think for United, it's well, always welcome, isn't it? It, it was absolutely uh, needed after what was an unnecessarily unsurprising result against Newcastle. I think the, you know, the, the inquest, the post-mortems were, were inevitable on the back of that. And um, I, I think the weird thing is, and I might sound completely daft and this might be taken as a soundbite and replayed and reused, but I've even before Newcastle, like I... I said to some that I've, I've more faith in them getting a positive result against Liverpool than Newcastle because it's, it's, it just seems that's what, that's what you get with this team. Uh, that doesn't necessarily think doesn't necessarily mean I think United will win. I certainly don't think they'll win against Liverpool, but you can kind of see you know, a, a positive, a commendable draw, um, kind of like the one they got under Van Gaal against Chelsea when it looked like it was end of days for him just after Christmas. They'd lost four or five games in a row. Uh, they had that dire Boxing Day defeat at, at Stoke. But then a couple of days later, and I think it was literally a couple of days later because of the Christmas schedule, um, they played pretty well and they should have beaten Chelsea. They didn't, but I think the timing of that fixture coming around so soon um, allowed him to cling on until the end of the season. But I think you'd be a pretty brave betting man to suggest that Solskjaer will be there this time come the end of the season interesting and you mentioned that you were more confident going into Liverpool than the Newcastle why is that with United is it <laughs> is it is it just one of them things or is there something like you see on the pitch where maybe the other team maybe if United are expected to be dominated against that they, there's less pressure on they them are better against, they are better against better teams this season anyway that, that they have beaten two decent teams in Chelsea and Leicester probably should have beaten Arsenal who are a decent team as well. So they don't want th- the ball either, United and Liverpool I, I th- are going to have th- the ball. So. I, think it's, I think it's just the fact that United, a small time, as perverse as that sounds, they, they have a small a time mentality in that they can get themselves up for big games and not against the smaller teams. And Liverpool used to have that small time mentality. Manchester City did um, in a number of derbies for, from between... 2002, the last derby at Main Road to 2008. I think they beat United what three one a couple of times. They beat them four one once. They they had the two they had the double at Old Trafford that when when they won the 50th anniversary of the Munich um, the Munich Air disaster. Sometimes this hap- happens with clubs, and it just so happens now United are in that position where they were in the late 70s, early 80s, where. Their, their record against Liverpool was was pretty good, but you go back to the start of this decade, 
United couldn't win for Toffee at Anfield because Liverpool always got about them. They were more aggressive. The one time Liverpool, sorry, the one time United did win at Anfield during that that particular period, uh, Liverpool had ten men and and they still went one 0 up in that game because emotion, passion, all those cliches. They just you know they they tapped into that and and more often than not they got results. And I think United have have got it in them to get as I said a, a commendable result against Liverpool, but. I think as, as hypothetical as it sounds, if, if if they draw against Liverpool, their next four games are away from home. They've not won any of their last 11 away from home. If they don't win any of those next five games, that is effectively a 10-game winless run. I don't care whether you're Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Jose Mourinho or Pep Guardiola. If you're the manager of Manchester United, you should not be allowed to survive that, even though the problems go well beyond the manager at United. Yeah, and you look at that with Solskjaer and you think if they do, say the next five results don't go in their favour and they do end up sacking Solskjaer, what do they then do? Do they stick with this this plan that they've got of recruiting young English players or do they then go almost like in a cycle again and go for the big name manager? Because there doesn't seem to be any sort of direction with, with United. It's, it's a really tricky one because... They're adamant they are going to stick with him, and well, up to a period, you stick with a manager up until you decide that enough's enough. In fairness to Woodward, nobody thought he had the balls to sack Mourinho until Champions League qualification was beyond them last season, uh, and he did. And obviously, as as is the case at pretty much every club, when you sack a manager, there is a bounce period. United's bounce period was was pretty unique. The, the position they're in now, it it is just so difficult to pinpoint who the next manager would be if they were to get rid of him before before Christmas or before the next set of internationals, which is, is perfectly possible just because of the, the fixtures they've got coming up and just how dire the situation is at the moment. I think a lot of people would look to Allegri. I think that would be a mistake for one reason. That's Paul Pogba. I do not blame Pogba for wanting out of United. He, he wanted out in the summer and... United are worse than they were at the time when he came back to the club in 2016. From his perspective, he's playing at a level beneath him. There's a very real possibility United will be in the Europa League next season, maybe not having a European football next season. He turns 27 in March. What incentive is there for him from a footballing perspective to stay at United? I just just don't see any. Uh, I don't like the way he goes about his business at times. I think that's a separate issue, how he's undermined the club, he's destabilised the club. It's very difficult to think of a more of a similarly high profile player revelling in a manager's sacking on social media like Pogba did. Um, and so if you were to get Allegri, just because he coached Pogba, you've, you're just empowering Pogba even more. And United did that by sacking Mourinho because they sided with the manager over the players. They undermined the board undermined Mourinho over not backing him in the transfer market, uh, opening contract negotiations with players that he was open to selling. And j- just the, the fact of the matter is, okay, Allegri might come in and that might, you know, in, that, that is another indulgence of Pogba. But if Pogba has any principles about him, whether it's Allegri or Zidane or Solskjaer, whoever the manager is next year, he should just be saying, look, I'm not signing a new contract. I'm, I, I want to leave because I don't see where this club is going. I mean, 
That's certain. The other week I said they're going forwards very, very slowly. I mean, that quote has not aged very well at all because it does feel like they're going backwards. And it's not an overstatement to say that this is not just the worst United have been post-Ferguson, but certainly in, in the Premier League era, this is comfortably the worst they've been, even with Moyes. However bad that was, and they finished seventh, there were still, you know, there were the occasional green shoots along the way. And it, But again, you know, people talk about Pochettino. I don't think United would spend over £30 million on a manager who is having a pretty toy time at Tottenham. That's not to say that I, I don't envisage Pochettino not ever managing United because when he does quit Tottenham, and it does seem like that will happen sooner rather than later, he's still got to be you know, probably the first name on the bookies chalkboards to come in. Yeah, a question to both of you. I mean, we talk about the manager quite a bit, but do you still think that director of football would need to come in at United before they look at any, any sort of manager? Because the way it seems that if they just keep chopping and changing manager, there's no overriding almost like philosophy in place for the club. But that's so, been the case for some time now and should really have been the case over the summer you know, talk about rebuild and Solskjaer trying to oversee something that's more of a long-term strategy. Like Edward Wood said in his conference call, you know, we back the manager's long-term strategy. But they haven't appointed this why crucial role. Why, why has that not happened yet? Well, I, I, I they want don't think Woodward wants one. Yeah, that's I the think is, is it a power thing? Like, uh... Yes, I think the, the, the most eminently uh, qualified you know, figure for that director of football role is, is someone like Van der Sar, who has a, has an association with the club, but he's, he's an objective voice. He's not, he wasn't born in Salford. He didn't stand the Stretford end or anything like that. He can be quite an awkward character, but he's not the technical director at Ajax. Mark Overmars is. Van der Sar is the chief exec. Ed Woodward holds that rank at, at United. So if, he's a threat to him. Van der Sar's pretty much gone on record. He said after the company testimonial that, you know, he'd, he'd love to, pretty much love to take that job at United. But I just don't think Woodward wants to relinquish the power. We know for a fact that he likes being viewed as a director of football. And I think if anything, in the investors' calls in in over the last year, he's not he's not talking about the, the app and all that guff that's been left to Richard Arnold, who I think is the, the managing director. Woodward is is focusing solely on the football. And that's sensible if this is a guy who's, you know, signing off um, signings, signing off contracts, to have him talking about the commercial side, just, it, you've, you've got to get your priorities straight. So if anything, he's, he's, he's actually tightening his grip on this, you know, this director of football role that he doesn't occupy, but he is the kingmaker. That That is part of his remit. So essentially it's going to have, what, what can almost like diminish the power that he does have at United? I mean, is it going to have to take a drop in commercial earnings? I mean, you've seen clubs in the past, like Milan, I mean, in the early 2000s were earning more in commercial revenues than they're doing now. And I think the one good thing about football in comparison to maybe other sports like American football is that performances do affect commercial earnings so is that what well, it's going to have to United yet though they're not United aren't but maybe position. in the next five years that could that's something that have to be, I think, potentially happen I, I think we discussed this in the office the other day didn't we and I said I think it would you'd have to be a significantly prolonged period of United finishing in mid-table 
and for players to keep leaving, like Samuel talk about Pogba leaving for that position to ever to ever come to fruition at United because their fan base is just so vast and you know Woodward and Matt Judge and Richard Arnold and everyone involved in the commercial side of the club are more than aware of their strength in terms of fan base and you know we're talk- we've, we've had the story recently with the Chevrolet sponsorship deal uh, coming to an end in a year or two's time United won't have any problems I wouldn't have thought in finding um, a sponsor of that size or you know in terms of the financial deal and offer as well so that's not going to happen anytime soon and people thinking that that is going to happen I think are mistaken certainly in sort of medium term yeah, Samuel, do you think the commercial earnings are ever going to, are going to fade away anytime soon, do you think? Well, I'd be amazed if they post record revenues and the investors call um, September 2020 because they won't have the Champions League revenue. Um, so there's, there's going to be a drop-off that. If, if it goes up from that, then you think, what what is ever going to stop them on that um, from that perspective? Uh, the Adidas deal, obviously, there are incentives in place there. If they don't, you know, hit certain um, certain certain marks there, then they don't get as much money from from that sponsorship deal. J- just changing kit kit sponsor or shirt sponsor doesn't. It's not necessarily a reflection of um, you know a failure on a commercial side. I, I, I still think that you know, if, if you're a brand and you want to get your brand on the shirt of, of Manchester United and it's going to be seen at every press conference, then there was so, there'll be God knows how many, God knows how many um, brands out there that, that would want that exposure. So I don't think they'll ever struggle from that side. And as, as bad as they are, they're not going to get relegated. They will finish in the top half of the table. They probably, you know, if they finish sixth, People think, well, that's about right for them. Um, I think some people might even say that's an overachievement for them, given the way that, that Leicester are performing so far this season. But I think they would have to be grossly incompetent. And they are incompetent, but they're not grossly incompetent purely because the commercial side has been completely revolutionised over the last 10 or 15 years. I think at the time of the Glazer takeover, Leon had more commercial revenue than United, which... It's, it's just extraordinary when you when you think about it. Even back then, there was there was a chasm in terms of the size of those clubs, and there always will be. Uh, so they're always they're always going to have the record revenues to to post. A, well, they they did last year, they did this year. They, they are always going to be not necessarily a record revenue next year, but they are always going to pretty much blow every other club in the Premier League's revenues yeah. out of the water. It's going to be decades until that situation changes. Is you know in in terms of. City's fan base, for example, compared to United's, that's not going to change any anytime soon. We we see that in in, um, in terms of you know the numbers following United and City um, online and things like that. So you can have all the success you want, but United is the size of United is the size of the club. And you see it with other newspapers, the Nationals, the amount that oh, they yeah. write about United on the back of a bad result, um, even. I think just going off t- today, uh, we're, we're talking the night after what happened between Bulgaria and England and the abhorrent racism during that game. Mm. And there's a Telegraph column on Manchester United's recruitment. There is a Times column on Paul Pogba and him possibly leaving Manchester United. Obviously, those those pieces would have been penned before uh, before the England game, but that's a reflection. It's a dead Tuesday, pretty much. What are you going to write about Man United? Because that's 
the, the interest in United is is pretty much unmatched. I think there was a point, certainly when I was younger working in London, that I think Arsenal possibly edged it in terms of online interest and that that fervent enthusiasm, if you like, for, for certain stories, transfer stories. Um, it, it might might still be Arsenal might, fans might still edge it on that part, but where we work within the United bubble. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty extraordinary the the level of enthusiasm when they are doing well, and just how scathing and, and biting it can be when when they're doing as atrociously as they have been recently. Yeah, as well. I mean, it's worth noting as well. United were on Twitter a lot later than most of the clubs. So in terms of catching up, I mean, I think they've overtook most clubs now in terms of yeah Twitter yeah. following. So yeah. that's one thing. Um, one of their earliest tweets is that David Moyes when he said United must improve in passing, finishing, and defend or whatever yeah. else it was. <laughs> about seven different things he said they must just, improve. Just, on. just about every basic yeah. function <laughs> on a on a football pitch. Yeah, yeah. They've improved their Twitter game since then. I think a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we move on to that England Bulgaria game and Marcus Rashford. Um, if you were to wager a bet, Samuel, would do you think United will replace the manager first or get a director of football in place? Oh, they'll replace the manager first. Oh, absolutely, so? yeah, yeah. They, we'll they, get the evidence. They, they will evaluate. Is that it. is that the right? Is that right? Like, no, no. They, 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 they yeah. need they, they need a director of football for just about every reason you can think of under the sun. I mean, even I think one of the crucial aspects of the director of football role. The, the, the biggest aspect, obviously, is, is recruitment, but it's the handling of contracts. You think the amount of contracts United have handed out over the last year or 18 months to players who've got them on the back of a purple patch or have just got them randomly. I mean, and w- w- what did Andres Pereira do <laughs> in, in four years to earn a four-year contract again? And Solskjaer is just jamming the square peg in a round hole, play on the right wing, play on the right wing. But what you notice with Pereira during games is that there's not a teammate who needs as much in-game coaching as he does. It's, you know, he's, he's an articulate lad. He's, his English is impeccable. I think he had a, you know, a pretty uh, privileged upbringing as, as well. Like the whole intelligence thing is, is irrelevant. He is a bright boy, but when it comes to footballing intelligence, he's just not got it. And the last the, the, this the, his performances this season have confirmed what anyone with any football knowledge knew before he started, which is that he's not good enough for United. But he's got a new four-year contract, and as we've seen with United, if you're on a long contract, they find it very, very tricky to get rid of you. I think the thing with the director of football is that when United appointed Solskjaer as the permanent manager in a decision which is obviously now, looking back in hindsight, being ridiculed by many, and people like to share that clip of Rio Ferdinand saying sign the sign the contract and, and all that, I think people may have understood that decision at the time if they had done a, a big announcement, say, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you are our head coach and we're bringing in a head of football because we believe in this long-term strategy and Solskjaer is part of that and... Obviously, Solskjaer has this vision about bringing young players through and that could have fit with a, a head of football, sporting director, whatever you want to call it. But it was just, right, you're our manager now and we'll bumble forward with you in charge and we've got no real sense of of, of what you are like as a manager other than a motivator and someone who was a, a great presence after the, the drudgery of the Mourinho years. That just didn't make sense. Even at the time, I thought that even though I was in favour of the Solskjaer um, appointment 
facilities that as I seem now saying that do you but, th- I think a lot of people were I mean yeah. what, what you said there about I mean I'd, I'd never thought of it of them doing it that way had they announced a director of football and named him as as head coach like from a PR perspective and just a general structural viewpoint that would have made so much sense yeah. um, that you probably should be the director of football of <laughs> making that suggestion uh, that United do that. But the thing with that at the time, um, I mean, they just, there's so much egg on their face after that because the word we got from the permanent appointment was that um, part, it was partly taken to, quote, supercharge the transfer plans, unquote. Of course, they ended the summer without two priority targets again. And in terms of supercharging, it, I mean... It must have been like the equivalent of charging a Nokia 3210 in, in, in this present day because they took ages to get Wan-Bissaka over the line, to get Maguire over the line, and they operated one at a time. They weren't working on deals concurrently, which was just inexplicable because they had done before and it, it actually worked pretty well. And, of course, the other aspect about um, the other line that we got from uh, the, the Solskjaer announcement in, in late March was that they were close to appointing a technical director whatever it was called back then and they hoped to have one in place before the start of the season and I think we knew pretty early on in the summer that one was not going to be appointed in charge what happened there was I mean we did hear about ex-players like Evro Ferdinand we heard a few ex-players being linked with it but was it, it does did make, have anyone it, or it does make it, you laugh when you look at that Rio Ferdinand quote and you think Christ would would he would did they really ever consider him as director of football? I don't think Fernand was ever seriously considered. I think that it, he does chat with Woodward occasionally, and he certainly was talking with Woodward just about general things. And I think something out of this, you know, something came out of this, and it snowballed. But I think I wrote at the t- about shortly after it came out that, that Fernand was just the, the thought of moving his his kids who were still quite young, and given the grief they've had to um you know manage in, in the last four or five years he was never going to relocate them back up north and he's just got married recently his, his wife is, is, is his second wife is from from london as well it, it just didn't make much sense with him but it, it also you know the image of him possibly being technical director and getting some kudos for it didn't harm his image either um, ever I didn't really hear of that there were certain names who got intermediaries to speak with United on their behalf and I think the telling thing is is that the, the ones who were eminently qualified to take on that role wouldn't touch with a barge pole because of just how it was pitched to them they didn't like the sound of it they, it, it didn't seem it doesn't seem <clears throat> particularly autonomous either um, because you are still pretty much answering to Woodward you're not the kingmaker there you're not the one who goes out and then green lights the transfers and executes them you still have to answer to a higher power and it's not the owners if you maybe if the director of football would gather all the intelligence make the decision and then say to the owners right we want to do this we want to do this and then they get the green light from them fair enough but you go into the chief exec and then you go in to, and, and then obviously he's discussing with the owners so you're still pretty much operating with one hand tied behind your back. There were messages as well that it wouldn't be an overly transfer-related role as well. That was that was briefed as well, wasn't it? Which was puzzling because the director of football at most other clubs 
One of his key priorities is transfers. It's, yeah, I can't remember. I wrote the the, the line at the time, but it was about overseeing the academy. It was was just doing what a director of football should do, recruitment, academy, you know, just just those those things that, as I said, a director of football should do, but one's still not in post and this time next year we'll probably still, we'll be having this same conversation. Yeah, is Woodward ever, I mean, how bad does it have to get for it to maybe affect Woodward and his position? Could it get, as long, I mean, I assume as long as commercial earnings are as high as they are, then there's not going to be any issue with Woodward's position. He's bulletproof in that he's he's made the Glazers an awful lot of money since he advised them on the takeover in 2005 and what incentive do they have to get rid of him when what they know about football couldn't fill a postage stamp and the commercial, as I said, record revenues, that's, that's all they're in for it for. Um, and until someone comes in and offers them more money than Scrooge McDuck has got in his vault, then they're not going to sell. Yeah. If only Fergie let go of them stud rights. When the, that came about, yeah, yeah. Well, that's 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 the thing. I mean, I think Ferdinand posted a picture after during from the Liverpool game last year when they lost three one. It's like, what must these two be thinking? And the picture was of David Gill and Sir Alex Ferguson. And I'm thinking, well, that guy was indirectly the cause of the takeover by taking on um, John John Magnier and JP McManus over the Rock of Gibraltar stud rights. Obviously, Magnier and McManus were big shareholders at United at the time. So it made that, that toxic environment made a hostile takeover um, possible. That came about. David Gill was the man who said debt is the road to ruin. And then he was very quick to jump in bed with the Glazers. Mm. Summed up pretty well. That was, that, that <laughs> you have to, you have to be itself. succinct, otherwise it's going to be a history <laughs> lesson. Yeah. yeah, That was a good two minute <laughs> clip in the, in the last 15 years of Manchester yeah. United history. Um, I want to move on and talk about the England-Bulgaria game. I mean, we saw the bombing scenes last night, which we probably probably shouldn't really speak too much about. I mean, the positives to come out of that game, if there were any, were po- probably Marcus Rashford's performance playing on the wing. Yeah. Do, do you think think now, maybe with Rashford Dom, that it, he, he should na- look at nailing down a position on the wing as opposed to playing through the middle? Or is um, it too early? No, I don't necessarily think so. I think it's fine for him to be versatile and given the paucity of attacking options at United, he needs to be versatile at the moment. I mean, people have, have, have criticised Rashford for his performances for United in the past few weeks, but who else was going to play centre-forward uh, for United? Maybe Mason Greenwood, but, you know, he's only a, he's only an 18-year-old who's barely played. So I think it's fine for Rashford to be versatile. It was, it was good to see him playing with some confidence, England uh, last night, you know the way he, he beat like that a different man, didn't he? Yeah, the way he beat that defender and cut inside and and went for a really positive effort on goal. It's almost like he saw, oh, I've got Harry Kane, I've got Raheem Sterling with me. You know, I'm playing with a really real high standard of player in a successful team, and that's what he's capable of. And I think it's good. It's a good sign for United, especially with Anthony Martial uh, potentially coming back. Um, Pogba may be coming back soon as well. Maybe maybe Rashford can click into some sort of form because at, at Newcastle, I don't know about you, Samuel, I did feel sorry for Rashford at Newcastle, really. He was getting next to no service and CI, whatever touches of the ball, he, whatever the touches of the ball he got, 
he was he had about four Newcastle defenders around him and no, almost no options to lay the ball off to. Mm. Personally, I, that's how I, I saw it. I think one of the few crosses, good crosses they put in, uh, which was by Dallow towards in the first half, uh, that Shard nearly put in for an own goal. And then you look, where's, where's Rashford? He's at the edge of the area. I mean, that's, that's someone who shouldn't be playing at the number nine role. And in fairness to him, I think it's... It's kind of like the, those who take a, a casual, uh, who, who casually observe United, who keep on harping on about should he play as a number nine because he has said repeatedly he doesn't view himself as a as a number nine. Um, I think when he was asked about it in 2017 on the tour, he said he only started playing there about two years ago for the youth team, which which is true. Um, so he ha- he's it's not like he's a complete novice in that role, but he's not a natural and. The, the, the dilemma for him is pretty much again if, if Solskjaer wasn't so supine he would say look you don't want to be a number nine okay we won't play you there uh, James has come in and prefers to play on the left and is looking pretty good there I can't get rid of him do you think you're a playmaker I don't think you are um, there's a there's a vacancy on the right wing if you want to work at becoming a brilliant right winger, I suggest you do it. If you don't want to do that, then there's a place on the bench. Would you rather have that? I can't imagine Solskjaer's had that conversation with him, especially because he calls him Rashi so often, <laughs> which doesn't, which does not do Rashford any favours as it doesn't do Andres Pereira any favours when he calls him Andy either. Um, but he, he had to take, I know the, there were, pretty much little or no alternatives, but I do think he had to take Rashford out of the side um, in recent weeks. Southgate did it. I know it's easier for Southgate because he's got a much greater and vaster talent pool to choose from. But I think it's, it probably reinforces focus. He sees Sancho not playing well against Czech Republic. Sancho is obviously someone that United would very much like to sign. Uh, England lose. He comes back into the team and he did look a lot he looked fitter as well. He didn't look as careworn as he's looked uh, with United. And there's the, obviously the great big caveat that Bulgaria are a dismal, dismal team. Um, but you've still got to go out there and, and perform. It's a similar bit with Ross Barkley. I mean, there are a lot of people who can't understand why Ross Barkley keeps getting starts for England, but he gets his start and he scores a couple of goals. Credit to him. You've, you've still got to turn it on when when it's necessary and I suppose the conversation with Rashford now will move on to should he play on the left against Liverpool because one of the best performances in his career was from the left when he tore Alexander Arnold to shreds uh, 18 months ago whenever it was yeah that right wing role I think is absolutely right I think Rashford's got to be versatile enough to take that on and to, to really give it a go United are in need and Rashford you know is one of these players who does care about the club who has looked really downtrodden when they've struggled recently. You know, go and go and have a go on that right wing. And I think I think he can play it as well as anybody else in the United squad. He's he's literally never played well there, but it's almost as if no one else in the United squad else no, either. That's, that's the thing. It's it's almost as if, and I'm sure he doesn't think of it this way. But I'm but you just get that vibe is that it's almost as if if you if you're pigeonholed as a conventional winger these days, it's as if you're not you're not marquee enough or you're not, you're not marketable if you're being a bit more cynical because the best players 
um, are playing on on their traditionally weak on their weaker side, if you like. A, a right footer plays on the left, and left footer plays on the right, and that's how they operate. You don't really the the, the natural wingers this in this day and age seem to be the fullbacks. They're the ones who are there to provide the overlaps and provide the crosses. And if Rashford is looking at it, thinking, "Well, I don't want to be a crosser. I don't want to be doing that." Um, I think that's just a bit misguided because you've got to have that that selflessness will get you far and I don't think it would necessarily compromise him at England level because I think he's still probably certainly after the Bulgaria game he's he's probably just ahead of Sancho it'll probably yeah it'll probably switch between now and and the Euros those two because Sterling and Kane and absolute certainties in that attack but he can perform on the left. He can't perform on the right. But you, if if you were United manager, you'd just be banging away at him. Look, make make <laughs> that position your own. Then I thought the strange thing last night with Rashford's performance was he he looked just so much more direct. He looked more confident in himself. Yeah, and then I when still... I watched United, when I watched Rashford play for United in recent weeks, he looks like he looks tired. He looks almost like lethargic. He's not like doesn't seem really up for it and you think is that, a co- is that a confidence thing so how is he then going to the England team and it's almost mental- like transform I think it's mentality I think if, you know um, sports psychologists would probably have a good look at it wouldn't they and, and see how his body language is different how he does look that little bit sharper and quicker off the mark he's, he's grabbing the second ball he's taking the man on he's doing things that when United are 1-0 down at Newcastle and creating no opportunities he, he's not doing because he's I don't know it's just one of these things in sport isn't it where yeah. where a change of scenery a change of mentality can have a dramatic effect on performance and you know these teams who are 2-0 down somehow get back into it just on the basis of a tackle being put in by their teammate and a chance hitting the post or something so I think Rashford needs something like that to go in his favour for United he needs half a moment here against Liverpool maybe you know, maybe he has a great early chance against Liverpool and, and the, that changes the course of his game and maybe his season. I think it's more than possible. I, I don't believe these people who who say Rashford's not good enough and he's got he's not got the ability because we've, we've seen it enough times for United that he clearly has. I think Southgate has managed him quite tactfully as well. When he was asked about uh, last month during the internationals in terms of players, how good they were, I think he kind of kind of alluded to the fact that Rashford wasn't the, the finished article yet. He still had some way to go and he was more effusive about Sancho and then obviously started Sancho against Czech Republic. And so those are two examples that Rashford should feel affronted by, um, you know, the, the kind of slight that he's not a, a certain starter for England, the fact Sancho starting ahead of him. And then, of course, he gets back in the team and he performs and it's easily forgotten that... However much stick Mourinho got for his reaction over that chance he, he missed, Rashford missed last year against young boys, he then went on a pretty good run of form there. So if you give him stick, he seems to have the mentality of, well, I'll show you and I'll I'll show you how good I am and I'll, I'll perform for you. Whereas with Solskjaer, maybe he's just a bit too protective of him in that he came into an environment where players were reeling from poor man management. He's referring to Rashford as Rashi. He's indulged him. He, he obviously you know, oversaw a particularly good period of form, probably Rashford's best period of form in those first three months. 
but you've got to have the rough with the smooth as well. And obviously behind closed doors, Solskjaer is probably a very different manager, but it's very different to it being public because public is exposure, it's on social media. In some ways it possibly affects a player more than what he's told privately. And I think Southgate's handling of Rashford, Solskjaer's got to look at that and think, you know, I can, I can learn from that. And especially with what Southgate's done, not, not just with Rashford, but with other players and the England players at the World Cup last year. He's, he's a very good man manager, whereas Solskjaer's man management, although it, it served United well for a period last season, it is too positive. It is getting a bit too much like Roberto Martinez in his time at Everton, where the Everton fans were just getting sick and tired of his positivity. Andres Pereira would beg to differ. I saw, <laughs> I, saw them, I saw them pictures on the touchline. He was absolutely... I don't know, you probably might have even heard him. He was absolutely... Yeah, well, there was some serious words going on throughout <laughs> the Newcastle game. I was, I was, I was observing... It, it's a great view at Newcastle, yeah. um, right behind the dugout, and you, there was, I was gleaning a lot of colour for it, but I, did, I didn't actually see that point where, obviously, he, the, the picture was taken of him pointing at something or other. I don't know what it was, but I think it was from the second half, so I don't actually know what was being said, but, I mean... The goalkeeping coach Hartis came out in the first half at one point for a set piece to kind of like obviously and yelled something to try and get them into order, and I couldn't hear him. And I was we were much closer to them than the United defenders. And again, the question has to be asked: Is this the coaching staff to unite to make United a force again? No. Damon. <laughs> I mean, Liverpool next. It is Liverpool next. And to preview Liverpool game, we're going to be joined by Liverpool Echoes football writer, Theo Squires. So stick around after the break and we will have him on. Hello and welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast here by the Manchester Evening News. Before we left you, we said we'd be joined by Theo Squires from the Liverpool Echo. And he's joining us now over the phone. How are you doing, Theo? Not too bad, thanks. Thanks for having us. I mean, the first thing I want to ask about is, I mean, you know, Liverpool came to Old Trafford last season and I think it was about February time and it ended nil-nil and it was just a pretty bizarre game with three subs before half-time. And looking back from a Liverpool perspective on that, you'd probably think that that was ultimately a missed opportunity for them to maybe come to Old Trafford and get the points in. In hindsight, would say that that was probably the result that cost Liverpool the points for the league. Where do, where do you still see Old Trafford for you? I mean, because does it still have that fear factor for Liverpool? It's a weird one because like going into the game this weekend, there's not that same intimidation about it. Um, that nil-nil last year, it's like there's quite a few moments you can look back and say, oh, back off Liverpool the league. And it's one where the injuries probably killed the game a little bit. But that game as well, it was like a turning point, I think, for Liverpool going forward because um, it was when, was it for me and they came off, Neil Sturridge came off. And it was after that moment that Ivo Carigi, that was pretty much when he had the chance and Klopp realised that Sturridge wasn't a substitute striker. So you could argue, I suppose, that drawing at United, getting a nil-nil draw, was helped Liverpool win the Champions League because that's what's pushed Rigi up the pecking order, gone into the Champions League, semi-finals, the final and all that. Then like the Old Trafford, it's always that, not fear, but you always expect something else, isn't it? It's one of those games going to United where teams lift their level it doesn't matter how they're playing on the pitch um, they've got that name they've got that history it's going to be the, the atmosphere from the fans and it doesn't matter how they're performing the uh, United fans will get behind the team on this one so it's going to be a, a big game for Liverpool and there is going to be that intimidation there whether they can get a result it's not going to be as straightforward as a recent form suggests 
Yeah, I mean, we've seen United obviously perform better when they're like playing against sides that maybe expected to dominate against them and the two wins coming against Leicester and Chelsea probably on when you look at it you probably think that's probably a bit more surprising that they have got them results but do you think I mean Samuel I want to bring you in on this do you think going into this game that you, there is there is more of a sense of not confidence but almost like a bit of passion a bit of aggression that's probably going to lift all the players regardless of ability if you get what I mean it, it's similar to the situation Newcastle were in after the the Leicester game and that it couldn't get any worse than that uh, I think it can get worse for United but I don't really see them playing to, to those plumps into those depths really that they have in recent weeks uh, the Newcastle game an example uh, the West Ham game being another uh, they have been better at home recently that's I mean that is clutch and straws from, from their perspective but it is Liverpool it is a huge game Liverpool are Champions League winners they've got the European Cup back at Anfield they're top of the league um, it's, it's possibly too early to say that they're champions elect but they look very good money to to win that this season finally and so that's always an incentive for United to try and halt that even though you know the, the, the payoff of that is that City could get back into the title race so it's you know they've, they've just got to focus on their own um on their own need for points and to get up the table because it's been a dire start to the season. But as I said, I think that before the Newcastle game, I had more faith in United getting a commendable result against Liverpool than, than against Newcastle. That's that's just the way United are these days. That it's, it's it is essentially a small time mentality. Yeah, and in terms of team news, I mean, it's obviously Solskjaer's press conference to come in the next few days. But we're hearing that Marshall and Pogba could be expected to return for that game. What, what's your general understanding on that? Is, is, do you think it looks like they could be ready for that? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> with, with, with Solskjaer, uh, injury briefings, you, you always take it with a shovel of salt. Um, he's not particularly transparent. Mourinho was, uh, which is probably one of the reasons that quite a few of the press guys uh, miss him on the patch. But I think regardless of who, who is actually fit for United, um, at the risk of sounding like David Moyes in 2014, you would you would not regard them as favourites, even though they are playing Liverpool at Old Trafford. They they don't have the right balance about them when the players are fit. They don't look like they're playing in the right system. They don't look coherent. They look fixed when Solskjaer's preaching you know, fluid football. So it's it's pessimistic times uh, for United supporters. But as I said. I think that there is going to have to be an atmosphere on Sunday. The, the fans are going to get behind them. And you know, although Newcastle were playing against a terrible United team, it still took a pretty big effort for them uh, from them to get a, a very, very good result. Yeah. And, and Theo, I mean, do you know, do you think there's any areas that unite that you see in the United team that can hurt Liverpool? Anything you see in that? Uh, I think Marshall's the big one. Like I've always looked at the United team and he's the one player I take at Liverpool. Um, he just offers so much and you saw at the start of the season he, he had a great start and the, the loss in form has pretty much coincided with him being out on the sidelines. Um, you look at that sort of player, I'm not sure if you'd play him more as a winger or up front. He's someone you'd expect to, say, trouble Alexander-Arnold. Everyone knows that that is that defensive vulnerability there. You can get him behind him. And Liverpool have had those issues when they've gone to Old Trafford in the past when they've struggled against the players with pace when um, they've targeted players. So like I think it was Rashford a couple of years ago as well. I'm not really worried about Pogba coming back in if he's fit because he's always a player that flatters to deceive. And why he's got the talent is whether he wants to turn it on or not. But Martial, it's like you can't fall asleep for a moment. If you give him an opportunity, he will get in and he has punished Liverpool in the past. 
I wouldn't be surprised if he was on the score sheet again if he is back this weekend. Yeah, and you, you touched on Pogba there. I mean, what what do you see that in Pogba that what he doesn't do for United? What do you see that he doesn't do that maybe the Liverpool midfielders do do? Um, with Liverpool midfielders, it's like all jack of all trades. There's not really any standout player that you think, oh, they're well class. They're get into any team in the world um, there's no one going to spend like 80 million 100 million or whatever on but because they work so hard for the team because of the jack of all trades they just complement Liverpool so well they complement Klopp so well and it's what you can really demand from the team Pogba is if he wants to turn up you can't play against him he will just get the ball at his feet run and he can beat anyone but is that inconsistency and it's when your head drops a bit uh, when your team's not playing well you can understand why he's a bit frustrated but you can never think that you say you're going to get that from Genie Wijnaldum or uh, Jordan Henderson when the going gets tough for them that's when they rise again we saw last year Wijnaldum fuming that he didn't start against Barcelona came on scored two goals got them to the final Jordan Henderson's had knockbacks throughout his career he always comes back stronger it's that mentality that character that maybe Liverpool got a bit more of that uh, some of the United's players lack at the moment Theo, uh, Dominic, there was a bit of reaction uh, from United fans and at the MEN when that uh, Danny Mills combined 11 came out, um, I think it was last week, and obviously he, he named 11 Liverpool players in that. Um, is that overstating Liverpool's um, superiority over United at the moment, even from your perspective, or, or is that fair? Um, I suppose it depends how you judge this 11. It's like if you do it in current form, you can't really argue that it does go to Liverpool. I think he's done an overall talent, hasn't he? Because he had Alisson in goal. So with that, yeah. you probably would have Pogba in the field just because we've seen what he can do. He has got that talent. But then it's the rest of them, like I've said just now, how much I rate Martial. But would you really have him in a, a front three ahead of the front three or arguably the best on the planet at the moment? And then that defence, um, maybe if you get Harry Maguire playing like... Uh, 80, 90 million pound centre back, you could argue that he'd get in alongside Van Dyke. But it's just a very inconsistent moment for United. Um, Bam Bazaka, he's probably another one that could push, but then Alexander Arnold, he's like one of the most informed players in uh, England at the moment. There is that dominance there with, but with Danny Mills. It's another one you take it with a pinch of salt, like he upset Liverpool fans a couple of weeks ago because he um, had a go at Jurgen Klopp's record saying, oh, he's not won enough, he's not achieved enough. Um, because he's only got one trophy, you don't include the Super Cup. Um, they're always just saying stuff for a reaction, aren't they? Yeah, well, one player I think might be crucial in the game, actually, is Wan-Bissaka. Uh, the way he can maybe limit whoever plays on that side, whether it be uh, Mane or Salah or Firmino when he drops over there as well. Um, I presume the uh, Liverpool forwards are going to be queuing up to play on the other side of the United fence, given how proficient Wan-Bissaka has, has been defensively for United. Yeah, yeah, doing all the stats didn't he last year when he was like performing well. Um, he did struggle a bit against Liverpool last season and he's going to be up against what Mane is probably most informed player in the Liverpool team at the moment. Um, Mohamed Salah, he's had a frustrating couple of weeks where he's been targeted, he's been kicked all over the pitch, he's had two players marking him. Um, that's probably going to be the case again. You think if United are fearful of him down Liverpool's right-hand side there, left-hand side. Uh, so, Wan-Bissaka, if he can neutralise Mane that's going to give United a good chance and then it's how the rest of the Liverpool team can stick and get around it. Yeah. Um, with this combined 11 that Danny Mills did do... I'm sorry for bringing that up, by the way. No, I, that's actually <laughs> something I was going to bring up. I mean, I'm just curious to know, I mean, would was there anyone else that you would have maybe going in from that United team other than 
other than I mean, obviously more than just the the zero that he's picked. Um, not really. They're not there's not many standout names in that United team that you think they would get in this Liverpool team. It's just on form and like you see on talent with Pogba could get in. Like, I wouldn't really see Martial starting at Liverpool unless uh, one of the front three left. And a lot of the players, the young players, it's about potential. Um, I wouldn't take Maguire over Joel Matip or Joe Gomez. And then Alisson's best keeper on the planet. Fullbacks, I don't think anyone can get into those little uh, fullback areas who's better than what they've got. It's just in that midfield. And apart from Pogba, who's really United's standout midfielder, he's probably the only one you could argue that if he was um, at the best of abilities, would be good enough for a Eleven Club Liverpool team. Yeah, and looking at the best way, I mean, how do you envisage United getting the best best possible result against Liverpool? Is it maybe just looking at play, playing off the counter or is it maybe taking the game to them? It's one of those where teams haven't really properly gone at Liverpool yet this season. Liverpool haven't been at the best. They've been a bit, uh, not inconsistent, but just grinding out results, pushing away. So it's if a team can stand up to them and really frustrate them that they probably have the best success and then it's if Liverpool are pushing more men forward can hit them on the counter and get in behind them but then it's Old Trafford it's where the Liverpool take a different approach to it and they're slightly more conservative but because they've got this experience now from winning the Champions League these two years three years on the clock where they have been pushing on reaching new levels they're not the naive team they were when he took over they don't get frustrated when they're knocking at the door and it's not quite going their way like we saw a Champions League game against Salzburg uh, two years ago. Liverpool would have crumbled after conceding a three-goal lead. We've seen that in the past in the Champions League where they've raced into a lead, shit to one, two goals, and it's fallen apart. Now they just keep calm, keep going, and they've got the win that day. So it's a very hard team to get the better of. Um, and yeah. in the side to race, they've got that experience. It's going to be a bit of big ask for United. They have to start well. They need to get the fans on straight away and then see if there is anywhere that you can nibble away at Liverpool and make them question themselves because when you've had two weeks off uh, they'll have a boost from Alisson coming maybe Salah's like um, not going to be at his best if his ankle's playing up after the injury he got in the last game it's one of those you just got to hope for something to not quite be right like if Liverpool aren't at the best there is a chance that United could get better of them on their day but they haven't taken it to new levels now yeah, in terms of team use, I mean, do you think? Is, is, I mean, I've I've heard Allison and Allison's got meant to be fit for it. But I mean, is that is that is that true? Is it pretty much a full strength team from Liverpool to choose from? Well, um, Jurgen Klopp said before the international break, I think that um, Allison was back in training, and they just wouldn't rush him, which was uh, fair enough. Like you think when Adrian's playing so well, there was no need to rush him and risk him uh, getting injured again or making it worse. But you think when he's had those two weeks, he is such a good goalkeeper that while it might be a bit harsh on Adrian, you could see him being thrown back in. And it's a great venue for him to go and really start his season. Uh, elsewhere in the team, I think we're expecting Salah to be fit. Um, during the international break, he had a few players that stayed behind to do extra training. Alisson was one of them. I think Adam Alana and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain stayed behind, but the medical team, they let Salah go off and have his little holiday so I don't think there's any real concerns there that he'll be missing so the only other one I think that springs to mind is Jordan Shakiri. like punished United last year he can have that impact off the bench but there's not really any update at the moment on where he stands he's been missing for a few weeks now um, we'll wait and see what Jürgen says in his press conference this week 
Yeah, we shall see. Um, and finally, can I get can I get an honest prediction for you for the weekend? That's a tough one. I think Liverpool win. Um, I do think United will score, so I'll, I'll go uh, conservative two one. Two one. You can ask us now. Eh? I, I'd say I might beg to differ, but I, the, the probably wouldn't. I don't think you would, Samuel. I, I actually think United will draw, but then I can't see them winning anything for the next four games because they're all away from home. So it's it's ten without a win. It's probably another sacking day. I'm going to have to cover for about 12 hours but uh, I think it's also important to, to stress from my from my perspective that I, I could not care less what Danny Mills thinks about anything on football <laughs> that's why I apologise for bringing it up because I, I saw that in Samuel's eye it is a fair point it's a fair point um, cheers Theo thank you for joining us mate no worries thanks for having us Samuel, I mean, I want to get, finally before we do round off, I want to get final predictions from you two. I mean, you, you just mentioned the draw there, but honestly, deep down, if you had to put money on it, I was going to say put your life on it, but that might be a bit too far. But if you had to, yeah, if you had to put money on it, what, what would be your prediction for it? I, I still could see United getting a, a decent draw out of it. Is that I know, your heart or your head speaking? No, 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 no. It's completely <laughs> objective. You, you, I, I certainly don't um, report United with my heart. Well, most of the time anyway. Uh, I, I just, I can see some kind of a reaction. And I, I think one of the ways Liverpool have, involved, have evolved, I should say, is that they're not quite as gung-ho as they used to be in the first couple of years with Klopp. I think that's partly why they didn't win at Old Trafford uh, in February. They really should have you know, got out United after those first three after those three injuries before half time and and they didn't because they're they are more reticent at times you saw in the Champions League final I think Mourinho's analysis of it was was very interesting when he said about how detached the midfielders were from the forwards because they were conscious of not getting caught out by Tottenham um, on the counter-attack and the forwards did what they did they they got you know they they got given a penalty that was was probably a penalty but they never looked in danger in that final because they are such a streetwise and mature team and if they don't go for it this weekend it will be slightly peculiar because of the way United have been playing recently but they should go for it uh, just because of how bad United are but maybe Klopp's thinking well if we if we go too gung-ho we might get caught on the counter-attack by United, which is pretty much the only tactic United have. If, and if, if you get beaten by United uh, playing on the counter-attack now, it, it doesn't reflect particularly well on you because it's been out there for a long, long time now that that is their their best uh, their best method of, of, of winning games. But as I said, I, I can see United at least, you know, providing a, a kind of a spirited performance, if you like, and, um, and, and maybe delaying the inevitable. Mm. Dom? Well, people say that form goes out of the window in these types of games. I don't think, I think it would have to go seriously out of the window and probably a few miles further than the window uh, on this occasion. So as much as I'd quite like to be wrong, um, something that I was saying that I think Liverpool have only won once at Old Trafford uh, this decade, and that was 3-0 under uh, Brendan Rodgers. Um, uh, wait, Liverpool had three penalties, I think, and Gerard missed yeah. one. Um, and I, do, I think it'd probably be a repeat of that kind of, a, of an afternoon, unfortunately, for United. I can't see anything other than a, a fairly painful, harrowing defeat, unfortunately. Yeah, we shall see. When United do scrape a 1-0 win, I'll make sure I clip that and oh, stick yeah, it on yeah, feel, feel free to do so. I mean, the, the form argues that, it, that that's going to happen. I hope to be wrong, of course. 
course. Thank you, Samuel. Thank Thanks you. Very much. Thanks, Dom. Um, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, be sure to do so. We will be back probably around about this time next week after the Liverpool game where we will review the game. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Manchester is Red podcast.